Welcome back to The Takeaway. I'm Todd Zwillick. Well, you can't patent a zebra or a tree or anything else that nature invented. Well, nature invented our genes too, but you can patent those. The question is, should you be able to? Can humans claim exclusive rights over DNA that nature made? That's the question before the Supreme Court today. Justices are going to consider a case that could have far-reaching consequences for medical research and for treatments. The case centers on a company called Myriad Genetics, and in 1994, Myriad discovered and then patented the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes. You've probably heard of them. Those are genes that indicate an increased risk for breast cancer and ovarian cancer. But like all patents, this one gave the company exclusive rights over using, even testing for the gene. Some patients claim that Myriad's exclusion of other companies prevented them from getting tested for cancer and that the company can't own the genes any more than somebody can own the rights to the leaves on a tree. Well, for more on the legal issues and the ethical issues in this case, we turn to Tom Taylor, Assistant Managing Editor at U.S. Law Week. Hi, Tom. Hi, Todd. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. Also with us, medical ethicist Harriet Washington. She's author of Deadly Monopolies, The Shocking Corporate Takeover of Life Itself, and The Consequences for Your Health and Our Medical Future. Hi, Harriet. Hi, Todd. Tom, let me start with you. Take us inside the court. What are the real legal issues, if you can sort of boil it down? Why does Myriad think that it can patent one of my genes? Um, Well, to start with, Todd, what you have to do is immediately divide these types of cases into two parts. What this case is about is whether an invention or something is patent eligible, whether or not it's eligible to be patented. There's a whole other line of law about what happens once you have an invention, whether it's worthy of a patent, patentability. This is really kind of the initial salvo into patent law about, you know, what you can actually put a patent on. And what they're basically arguing over in this case, more than anything else, where it really comes down to is these patents have been issued for years now. The uh, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, it's been their policy to issue these patents. There's something in the area of 40,000 patents dealing with uh, segments of DNA and 3,000 individual genes that have been patented like these. But with this case, depending on what the court decides to do, those could be nullified and basically a lot of people would be out a lot of money. Okay, but it doesn't make sense to sort of the logical brain that a company could own a patent on one of my genes or one of your genes. Is Myriad saying we own the gene or are they saying we own the way we discovered and isolated the gene? Right. And the the analogy I like to use here is an old tried and true one. It's the needle in the haystack. Basically what Myriad is saying is we found a needle in the haystack. We found these genes. We isolated them. We brought them out of the haystack, out of the DNA. And then, most importantly, made them useful by breaking them into pieces and otherwise manipulating them so that they can use these genes in later tests to target and find different mutations, find the genes themselves, do the, you know, the diagnosis test that you uh, mentioned earlier to look for both breast and ovarian cancer. So they're really saying we don't own the patent on the genes. We own the patent on the genes once they've been taken out of your cells, out of your body, and basically manipulated so that they're actually useful to us. So All that's right. what the patent speaks to. Well, let's turn to Harriet Washington then. Harriet, on the ethical issues here, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, drug companies, for instance, own a patent on a molecule that they invent to make a drug that helps people. There is a huge burgeoning field of genetic medicine. Without these patents, that field almost can't exist. Is there anything wrong with the way Myriad is arguing here? Ah, but it's absolutely not true that the field would not exist without patents. In fact, the Human Genome Project 
which bestowed this wealth of information about our genes, was conducted without a single patent. People um, tend to reasonably assume that the patent is awarded to the person that did all the work, but it was a large consortium of scientists which actually um, did a lot of the groundwork for the identification of these genes. And only Myriad was awarded patents, nine patents, I believe, on these two genes. So it's absolutely not true that you can't conduct it without um, patents. Moreover, the use of these patents is actually hampering the access of these genes to medical research and directly harming the health of women, affected women, who can't afford the test or who find that they can afford the test, but the test limitations are unknown to us because the patent allows a company to keep anybody else from examining the genes. And the idea is the genes are in our body. They affect our health, and one company can't own whether we get to know about it or not. Of course not. This hampers the free exchange of information that people need for their own bodily integrity to maximize their health, but also hampers exchange of information to other scientists. In this case, notably, there are, what, over 150,000 scientists who are also plaintiffs in the case. Tom Taylor, even if we can sort of logically accept that a company can't own genes per se, is there any reason to believe that nine justices on the court would basically overturn an industry that's worth billions of dollars a year already, as you mentioned? Well, that's actually an interesting point, because this court um, is often seen as divided among two wings, a liberal wing and a conservative wing. And, you know, those expectations often play out like people expect a lot of the time. But patents are a funny area for this court, because you've got these individual stories of of how this affects women's health. And you've got this uh, story of individual freedom and rights over our bodies and our genes. And that's going to play very well with the liberal side of the court. What people don't often expect is, you know, you've got, like I said, a multi-billion dollar really industry here. A lot of people often assume that the conservative side of the court is going to side with big money interests. And there's all this, you know, talk that's been going on for years about is the Roberts Court a pro-corporation court, you know, all this type of discussion. But in the patent area, they've really shown that they, they kind of take a different tack on it, that patents are government-sanctioned monopolies, and, you know, if there's anything that uh, the conservative wing of the court is, is troubled by, it's um, not letting the free market do its thing and, and government intervention in the free market. So I actually think that Myriad here has an uphill battle. Um, the last case they decided like this was about not a product of nature, but a law of nature, uh, Mayo versus Prometheus last term. And the court was 9-0 in basically saying that this test to see if a drug was working properly uh, couldn't be patented. It was basically a law of nature, and they were just observing it. So I think Myriad and I think the patent holders have an uphill battle in this case. Well, modern science collides with ancient patent law today in the Supreme (laughs) Court. That's Tom Taylor, assistant managing editor at U.S. Law Week. Also, thank you to Harriet Washington, author of Deadly Monopolies, The Shocking Corporate Takeover of Life Itself, and the Consequences for Your Health and Our Medical Future. Thank you both. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Todd. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.